Ayan. Good day, everyone. So, uh, welcome to Eternal Conferences, an educational resource and art space via live streaming that talks about time, technology, and teaching. I'm your moderator, Alfred Marasigan. And we are joined by our sign language interpreter, Ms. Maan Tugade, to make available our stream to viewers who are deaf. So a little bit about uh, Ms. Maan. She is a reliable, responsible, and hardworking and passionate about her work. She's been working as a senior data processor at the same company for 19 years. Uh, but due to her health situation, she decided to face new work challenges. She believes in continuous learning, so she enrolled in TESDA-TVET and took up the course of Event Management Services, uh, NCII, and the company that she did her job trainings hired her as event coordinator, eventually as administrati administrative staff. But due to pandemic situations, it's now temporarily closed. Ms. Maan would describe herself as a godly person, as one of Jehovah's Witnesses. And she volunteers to help people with disabilities. So she joined uh, in the deaf community since 2012 as a minister, teaching them values from the Word of God. To expand more her knowledge in sign language, she enrolled and got her certificate of completion at the Philippine Registry of Interpreters for the Deaf, Inc., PRID, and DLSC St. Benilde for Filipino Sign Language too. This skill also helped her find a part-time job and several experiences to interpret for people who are deaf. She graduated at Kalayaan College as Fine Arts in the year 2018. Ayan, so to mga tao sa chat, uh, say hi to Ms. Maan. So more information about, hi Ms. Maan, ayan. So more information about uh, Eternal Conferences, we live stream quarterly. But for our launch, we are, ho we are holding this series of conferences and today is our fifth or almost like we're almost done. So this is our second to the last or penultimate conference. So conference number five. Uh, after, if you or your friends miss this stream, it will be available on our Twitch channel 24 hours after this broadcast. And after that, an audio recording will be available on our website archive. Uh, link below <laughs> and last but not the least our our uh, guest for conference number five Isola Tong yes hi naman tayo dyan okay. hi hi everyone ayan so Isola Tong uh, born uh, 1987 Manila is an artist and architect engaging uh, in Filipina shamanic and autochthonous transgender imagination through performance uh, installation, print, painting, and moving image to disrupt the hegemony of Western understandings of nature and, and identity. Her interests include uh, ecological drag as a practice of embodying pre-colonial indigenous genealogy of gender variant women in the context of a world at the brink of ecological collapse to discover new pathways to self-determination. Second to the last or penultimate conference. Vernacular fiction is a practice of uh, articulating and centering contemporaneous figurations of marginality and transness in decolonizing patriarchal and racialized narratives. 
uh, feral poetry is a practice of conveying the interconnectivity of biological agents in subaltern and trans-feminist terms. Uh, and encounters with the environment, locality, and objectification informs her fictive speculations and feral poetics as modes of dissidence from normative notions through queer vernacularity. Ayan! Okay. So, hi naman tayo sa chat to uh, Isola. So, I only met um, Isola, I think, to 2019, I think. But we got along really well, especially because of our common interests, which she will be talking about today. Ayan. So, take it away. <laughs> Okay, good morning everyone. So thank you for coming today. And yeah, medyo nakaka-pressure yung penultimate. <laughs> True. Uh, pero um, I'm going to yeah, delve into our uh, lecture and I guess talk today. So I am first going to show you I hope um, it's nakikita naman, hindi naman na crop yung hindi picture. Naman. Okay, so so here I am showing you a photograph of my matriarch, my great-grandmother from the island of Samar. In the central island cluster of the Philippines, her name was Naivina, and she practiced folk magic and according to my mother, had used her abilities to cast spells on neighbors who stole the produce from our coconut farm in the mountains. My mother caught her once doing a ritual on a midday, bobbing her head hysterically under a black cloth. The following day, the accused neighbor died from an unexplainable stomach disease. My childhood is filled with paranormal stories involving shamanism and encounters with non-human entities that inhabit the forests and mountains of the island. So this is the island, the, this is the town proper where um, I'm from, <laughs> where, where my lineage comes from. And this is me. <laughs> the yes. inheritor, inheritress of that, um, you know, strange um, lineage. So, um, I'm going to play a performance where I disrupted the architecture of the institution by cooking a local Filipino dish, which is mostly associated with the poor and the working class. It is an early work which explores the idea of making visible trans and queer bodies in a predominantly rich and normative space. I will define local and pre-colonial concepts of transness while I play this video. The babaylan was associated with babae, or women, yet because gender was understood as an occupation and a role not fixed on birth sex, sex assigned male at birth, but female presenting people 
were allowed to perform priestless priestessly duties and were considered women as they conducted themselves as such. A remarkable feature of this feminine status is that gender crossing is signified by the donning of women's clothes. Activist contexts offer novel possibilities of identity politics through the term transpinai. They deploy transpinai to describe figurations of Filipina womanhood, which include pathways towards agency and coalitional possibilities through the bakla. Such nomenclature is powerful not only in announcing a modern subject, but in introducing a woman who articulates her agency in decolonial and trans-feminist terms. This was written by Jaya Hobo in uh, this year, 2021. So here I am cooking mungo with malunggay and I'm also having beer while doing this so as you can see there are people coming in um, there's apparently an event in front of me <laughs> um, and the entire place was actually stinking of um, patis and <laughs> and meat so I'm not only disrupting the space through you know, the sounds I make through cooking and the budot sound in the background, but also through the smell. So here, the disruption of the space is not just through architecture in the sense of, um, you know, materials, but here I am disrupting it terms of the program or the activities inside the space or here it's actually outside in front of the space because I'm not allowed to cook I wasn't able to get a permit inside the space because it will um, destroy or <laughs> deteriorate the artworks inside but I guess this is close enough um, I wish I saw this in person. <laughs> I know you were. I'm not sure. I think you were still in Norway when I did this. Yeah. So this costume, I'm supposed to not wear a skirt. <laughs> I'm supposed to just wear panties because this is um, a costume inspired by a character named Lilu. Um, from a, a sci-fi film, The Fifth Element, by a French uh, director named Luc Besson. So I'm trying to create this um, strange combination of Western sci-fi and, um, you know, Filipino cooking. Malunga. <laughs> yeah, ma Malunga. 
And I guess this sort of represents the Philippines, you know, this weird mixture of Southeast Asian culture and Western culture. So that's the end of it. Oh, okay. So I guess the first part of this um, lecture will involve, I guess, a, a video which inspired um, my research interest. So my current interest in portraying the unseen and how it relates to modern media was triggered by a hallucinatory vision of a ghost during a Zoom meeting with Alfred and Sar. During my research, I remembered an overtly homophobic song from the 90s, which I heard as a child. It was a different time in Manila and in a conservative Catholic nation to ridicule queer identities was normal. I'm going to play the song which inspired my current artistic research on ghosting as queering. Yes. Multo, as pani Multo sa Paningin, um, 1994, is an alternative rock song by the post-punk Filipino band, The Youth. The song was on heavy rotation in the early 90s and was famous for the line, Multong Bakla, or effeminate homosexual male ghost. This song underscores how the modern mainstream Filipino imagination intersects and categorizes both the non-human and the queer to the unseen or things they do not wish to see or make visible. So I'm going to play this. Okay, I'm just coming.
It's actually a very fun and catchy punk song that I re- I still actually enjoy listening to. But um, yeah, this you can actually feel that this is coming from a lens of uh, I guess a marginalized male Filipino identity that somehow he you know he somehow clumped together his I guess his feelings of um, resent. Um, towards, um, say, the the elite, you know, their and the politicians, people in power, and um, somehow associated them with, you know, um, things the other things he he dislikes, which are the bakla or or the queens. So it's kind of problematic. Um, well, this was acceptable in the '90s, but obviously this wouldn't <laughs> this would get cancelled in. In 2021, it but used I just to be cool and funny. <laughs> yes, it used to be. Diba? But yes, um, but it's. I just find it very interesting um, as a point of reference, I guess, because it tells us about the Filipino psyche. Mm. Um. So. Um, okay. So. Um, let's. Oops, okay. So I'm going to the second part of its exploration and this journey that I'm gonna share, and I'm going to talk now about my other half of my identity because I'm actually a Filipino uh, Chinese. Uh, Maan earlier um, asked if um, is am I Chinese? Am I Japanese? So I'm actually Filipino Chinese. My mother's side, as I said earlier, is Filipino, uh, Visayan from Visaya, from the Visayan region, and then my father is from Hong Kong. So I'm a bicultural and a biracial uh, Filipino, and I guess that also affects my practice, my artistic practice. This hybrid. Um, I guess existence and the tensions of you know questioning um, about culture and identity. So this image I'm showing you is uh, a scene from Akira Kurosawa's film *The Throne of Blood*, um, which was created in 1957. Um, it's actually based. On William Shakespeare's um, Elizabethan play um, Macbeth, which is about uh, this story 
in medieval Scotland, which uh, Akira Kurosawa translated to the, se- the settings or the context of feudal Japan. Um, I guess I was drawn to this um, movie because there's this scene where uh, the two uh, feudal lords slash samurai uh, encountered in the mountain this uh, onibaba in Japanese or this hag in the mountain uh, this ghost um, which represents fate so you can see she's a weaver she's a weaver of fate and she had uh, like in Shakespeare's play she had a premonition that um, one of them is going to ascend and take the throne so it's you know the plot and the story is very similar to um, what Shakespeare did and everything ended in tragedy <laughs> so it's I guess it's a it's a lesson of um, what you know what power can do to people mm. yeah and and here um, again since we're in the uh, we, we forgot to mention we're, we're now in the, the ghost one that's why I guess uh, I'm also drawn to talking about ghosts um, in, in Japan the, the Obon which is the, you know, the ghost month festival just ended but um, in the, the Sinosphere the, the Chinese speaking uh, countries in Asia um, the culmination will be in on August twenty second, but um, as far as I know, the gates of hell are already open. Oh my god! <laughs> yes. So, so speaking of um, you know, hells and <laughs> the opening of gates, um, this is Onibaba, another Japanese film in nineteen sixty four. So again, uh, Onibaba means uh, demon hat. So it's a 1964 Japanese historical drama horror film written and directed by Kaneto Shindo. This film is set during a civil war in the 14th century. So you can see here um, the Hanya mask. I think you've seen this before. There's an emoji in your phones <laughs> yes! of this mask, the demon mask. So the Hanya mask is uh, used in um, No plates. It's called No. Um, it's such a, It's I think it's the oldest uh, existing continuous play in in the in the planet <laughs> that has been going on for thousands of years. It's a Japanese traditional play where people uh, the actors wear masks. You know, which they inherited from their um, also uh, actor ancestors. So it's a very you know, um, it's rich in history. So this um, so each masks represent a certain archetypal character. So this the Hanya mask portrays the souls of women who have become demons due to obsession or jealousy, similar to the Buddhist concept of a hungry ghost. So there's this interesting, um, I do not know why, but in East Asia, it's usually the women who become 
ghosts. So somehow I relate this to again my great grandmother, where in a patriarchal society she finds her agency in you know in sh- in spiritual ways. Mm. <laughs> and here you know um, since women um, are sort of subjected to you know certain. Um, you know rules and um, norms. Uh, they <laughs> they become ghosts and they enact their revenge through haunting. Mm. So you know, and uh, here in this uh, other picture, <laughs> um, this is an old film also called uh, Yotsuya Kaidan, uh, Illusion of Blood in in English. Um, it's based on a, a myth, a folklore. Uh, Japanese work folklore. This was directed by Shiro Toyota in 1965. So I guess this image sort of um, spurred all the Asian horror in the 21st century that we've been seeing. Uh, you know, this really creepy, long-haired women in white clothes, and you know, um, disfigured face, ah. and you know. Uh, levitating or in really odd <laughs> you, you know you can find them perched in odd places positions yeah positions so you know i guess the jap I, for some reasons i do not know why but the japanese are masters of, of the of you know these psychic psychological horrors or you know or edits portrayals so so i guess because they have a long continuous history of you know th- through the novel of portraying these um, ghastly apparitions mm. so um, so this is uh, I'm going to play so we're moving forward to the 20th century so this is a video from the horror film ring <laughs> i'm sorry if i'm scaring some of you right now because um happy m- some of you might not yeah <laughs> might not like the horror genre but um this is a ring uh a ring in japanese this was um uh, shown in japan in 1998 this is based in the manga actually directed by hideo nakata it was based on 1991 novel by koji suzuki and it follows a reporter who is racing to investigate the mystery behind a cursed videotape that kills the viewer seven days after watching it. So, it, so this is the videotape. <laughs> this is the cursed videotape. So I'm going to play it first before I delve into uh, related research that I found. Thank you. 
So yes, that's it. <laughs> so <laughs> okay. <laughs> ah, that's okay. <laughs> so <laughs> that's very interesting. Um, so while delving into the deep <laughs> well, <laughs> the the, metaphor the metaphorical well of this movie, I found out about this concept called nensha in Japanese. Um, if translated to English, it's called photography. So the it's kind of it's a bit covered by the video I embedded, but these are photos by a Japanese psychology professor from the Tokyo University in um, the early 20th, 20th century. His name is uh, Tomokichi Fukarai, and allegedly um, he found these psychics in Japan who were able to directly etch thoughts to photographic media. So photography, also called projected thermography, psychic photography, nengraphy, and nensha, is the claimed ability to burn images from one's mind onto surfaces such as photographic film by psychic means. The study of photography dates back to 1910 when professor of psychology Tomokichi Fukarai at Tokyo University began experiments with a group of women who claimed clairvoyant powers. Before his death in 1952, Fukurai founded the Fukurai Institute of Psychology, an organization that studies the paranormal and still survives to this day. <laughs> so it's very interesting that, you know, you would think that you know, parapsychology in, in, in a country that is so obsessed with technology, cybernetics, and robotics will end in the 20th, you know, in the 21st century, but it still exists to this day. So it's very fascinating. It, it is also fascinating. There's a comment um, in a, what's that, in an online forum, I, I saw somewhere that um, somehow, there's this parallel between the Jap Japanese Empire and the German Nazis and their sort of fascination with, you know, these fringe sciences mm. and how they experimented with, with people in exploring um, these um, really strange <laughs> ideas. So... I don't know if that's connected. Yeah, and so, I think before yeah. we before we dive deep into this, because I think we're we're already headed towards the the technology aspect of of these like spiritual, not spiritual even, but like paranormal ideas. Yeah, right. So I think yeah. we'll we'll take a short break, and for our for our viewers, yeah. for GoSif twenty nine, for unrelearning, for zero zero eight Hansu, and. For Teresa, we'll see you in a bit. So please 
stay with us we'll just take a very short break and then when we come back we'll expound more on these um on on the connections between japanese culture i think and technology and also um the supernatural so see you in a bit okay
Ayan, we're back. So, siguro bago tayo mag-start ulit with um with Isola, I think uh, for for those who might miss like the Filipino parts or some context of the of the talk today, or if you have uh, bad signal, I think uh, we have uh, we will have a transcription and a translation of this talk um, to be announced later. <laughs> so. Uh, I will introduce uh, Trisha, who, Trisha, Trisha Veles, who will be uh, transcribing and translating uh, this con conference number five for us. Uh, she has just com Trisha Veles has just completed uh, her MA in Filipino literature, uh, though her research interest is quite deep into Philippine cinema and its audience, particularly movie watching experiences and movie loving communities in the context of the digital and online scene from the early 2000s to today. She, uh, Trisha currently teaches uh, English literature to freshman university students and the English language to learners from Asia, Oceania, Africa, and South America. Okay, ayan. Si Trisha ay nagsay ng hi sa chat. Yes! Okay, so ituloy natin ang, ituloy natin ang uh, uh, presentation at ang mga stories ni Isola. Ayan. Okay, so I think before um, I connect Japanese with what I showed earlier, the Japanese uh, parapsychology, paranormal technology, and in the context of the Philippines, I will show first uh, interesting an interesting video I found <laughs> in YouTube. Uh, hosted by Arthur C. Clarke, the, the writer of um, Space Odyssey. Am I right? Yeah. <laughs> and he, he also the inventor of the telecommunication satellite, who strangely hosts or hosted a show about um, what I talked earlier, <laughs> photography. But this, uh, this example is uh, Western um, photography, so I'm going to play it. This photograph was taken by a vicar in his church. What can explain the eerie figure by the altar? When this girl's photograph was taken in 1917, were there really fairies at the bottom of a Yorkshire garden? This weird picture of a London bus was taken by a man who claims he could think photographs straight onto film. Can the camera really capture the psychic world? Mysteries from the files of Arthur C. Clarke scientist, writer, and visionary. The scientist who invented the communication satellite, the writer of 2010. And now in retreat in Sri Lanka, the visionary who ponders the riddles of this and other worlds. Investigating the supernatural can be a very frustrating experience. So much depends on second-hand reports and eyewitnesses' powers of observation. Yet, 
a single good photograph could settle the matter once and for all. Most apparently psychic photographs seem to turn up by accident, but in the 1960s, one man claimed that he could take them at will. His name was Ted Sirios, and he asserted that he could imprint images on film merely by thinking at the camera. Ted Sirius called his technique photography. He usually used Polaroid cameras and sometimes extraordinary photographs emerged. Blurred and distorted but often showing buildings miles away from the cameras. This 1967 session was organized by Ted's champion, psychiatrist Dr. Jewel Eisenbud. Today, Ted and Jewel are reunited for another photographic test. Dr. Eisenbud has taken time off from his busy practice. Pausing only to collect essential supplies, they're bound for Dr. Eisenbud's cabin outside Denver in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. So I'm going to stop there because it's going to be just a series of unsuccessful. <laughs> and he couldn't he couldn't replicate what he did in the sixties anymore. Before, uh, yeah, so I don't know what happened to his um, powers. <laughs> but um it's 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 a very interesting sort of um I don't know, example mm. of you know, that you know, people even Arthur C. Clarke himself like really took this seriously. Um, okay, I'm going to go back to her. Oops. When he. Okay. So I'm going to go back to Asia, <laughs> to the Philippines. So I'm fascinated by the paranormal yeah, and female and the queer because it's sort of. Um, I, I guess in Japan, it's. Um, in a way, it's how their animistic uh, heritage, you know, their religion, their beliefs before the arrival of Buddhism sort of made itself manifest, <laughs> even in the technological um, era, um, in examples like um, the ring, you know. And I think this animist or animistic beliefs um, is quite common, not just in Japan, but also in, um, in Southeast Asia. And this is uh, evidenced by our beliefs in myths like uh, the Baleta tree and our belief that non-human entities, uh, spirit, spirits, um, malevolent spirits, um, you know, dead ghost from the dead sort of inhabits these um, spaces, which are also non-human, you know, it's a tree. It's, so it's very interesting for me. So this is a tree. So this tree um, is the Baleta Drive. <laughs> So legend has it that um, whenever a cab driver passes through 
usually uh, an apparition of a female ghost dressed in white um, you know haunts them <laughs> or even ghosts inside the car and <laughs> in the know, mirror no yeah yeah and they could see it in their, their the mirror or sometimes um, you know they just stand there outside on the street <laughs> so there's a lot of speculations um, who she is <laughs> and why she's there but I guess um, somehow I think um, this is an evidence of um, this disconnected um, unconscious of of Asians with regards to our relationship with, um, you know, with our fascination with the, with nature and the unseen. So. And also, yung cars, no? I think the car plays yeah. a big part in that story, a lot. Yes, it, yeah, pretty and the old technology, but still like very much involved in the idea of progress, siguro. Right. So, parang there's this, I guess, the tension <laughs> between mm. um, old beliefs and new technology somehow manifests in these strange um, myths. And it's really interesting that if that it's always um, a male driver, <laughs> mm. you know, who recounts these um, encounters, and the female is always, uh, I mean, the ghost is always a female. So I, there's this weird sort of gendered um, <laughs> story, <laughs> gendered yeah, storytelling. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then it. You know, and then the gender also mani- uh, intersects with the otherness of, uh, of you know, these non-human beings. So, um, again, I go back to that song, <laughs> to mm. the Bultong Bakla, the, the, the ghost queer um, in the Filipino imagination. Yeah. And perhaps why, you know, why I guess, um, I guess that's, it's an expression of this suppression and erasure of you know queer identities that ha- that existed in the pre-colonial times but is trying to manifest in the Filipino subconscious mm. and you know somehow it you know masculinity couldn't <laughs> couldn't deal with that dissonance and it expresses itself in these strange narratives. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good way of overpowering masculinity, I think, because the unknown, the, I think masculinity holds a lot of, or masculinity relies a lot on certainty, I think. And right. the, the unknown is very much the domain of the queer. Yes. Yes. Uh, thank you for articulating that. <laughs> And I think I'm going to show you this another yes, interesting Queen Jessica. Kapuso mo Jessica Soho is I think <laughs> the best archive of of paranormal um, narratives in the Philippines. Goddess tear. Yes, I think you know. Thank God for Jessica Soho <laughs> and her paranormal journalism. <laughs> 
So, um, I'm going to play this very interesting story about. Um, uh, I, I I'm not sure how she. I'm I'm not even sure about the pronoun she prefers, but I, I'm just assuming that she is a transgender or trans Uh Her name is uh, Sig Mandaba Tulay, and. She is famous for being the social media Nostradamus of the Philippines. <laughs> Very fascinating for me because um, apparently she she had she had visions and premonitions that predicted um, catastrophes and disasters that are not personal, but that that are quite um, you know really big and became news <laughs> and so I'm going to play because this is long I'm just going to play a part of it <laughs> so there's Jessica so, but I'm going to jump I'm sorry Miss Jessica I spend of two weeks lang yata may sumadsad na eroplano sa Naiya. Nagulat na lang kami kasi yung rumbled numbers na pinakita sa akin, dun din yung flight details ng Shaman Airlines, which is MF8667. Nung nag-post ako nun, that was the first time nag-ast ako to have a prayer. Post ko na yan, bigla siya naging viral. Yung iba, yung nakapaniwala, in-edit ko na lang daw. Kung pwede ko lang i-edit yan, siguro i-edit ko yung buhay ko na to live a normal life. Hashtag third eye. Yes. <laughs> Nagulat na lang ako kasi it's really clear na nakikita kong umuusok siya. May nakita akong mga taong tumatakbo. Sinabi ko siya sa isang kakilala ko na may mangyayari sa resource world. Naramdaman ko yung init sa katawan ko para akong napapasok. Nung time na pala nun, may sunog na naganap sa resource world. Wait, sorry natawa ako dun sa apoy na footage. Sorry. So, go, go lang, go. Oh Hindi ko siya alam na news. Okay, go lang. We're, we're going to end there anyway. Okay, okay. <laughs> Yung I mean the video. Pero, very interesting that I think na parang babalik tayo dun sa yung sinabi, minerate kung sinulat ni Chaya Jacobo na babaylan identity. Ano, these queer, feminine identities that are there have that are assuming the the role of you know the shaman and you know the Nostradamus who are predicting and so it's translated in the 21st century in the information age as you know a priestess uh, in social media so uh, <laughs> it's very interesting how queer identities again re-emerged as, uh, as a priestess in the modern age. Uh, I'm not sure now how it, you know, how, how the algorithms would date this. <laughs> but, but it's, you know, it's a, it's an interesting way to wear uh, modern uh, technology. So I guess um, in Japan, they have, you know, they have Sadako <laughs> who etches her thoughts in in videotapes. In the Philippines, we have 
the same Madame Badulay, who you know puts her prophecies in, in Facebook and social media. So, oops, okay, let's go. <laughs> so, um, we're about to end my talk. I'm going to share with you my um, performances my uh, documentation of my performances um, in the past uh, two years. <laughs> Most of them were done during the pandemic. And I was thinking a lot about ecology and, you know, how a lot of the problems of mankind are ultimately connected to the way we treat the environment you know it's in the end it's uh it's a problem of the commons you know <laughs> and somehow it comes back to us as you know in different forms such as you know, forest fires floods diseases so <clears throat> um this is a video i'm going to show you uh, i did this in a Roseros forest park in Manila, which is the only a miraculous um, commons that were fought um, by fought for by women, um, it was actually uh, initially a project by um, the first lady of the then uh, Fidel B. Ramos, his wife. Um, he, she gathered a group of women and created a foundation to create a forest in this site. And they, it was a 15-year plan. And eventually, the forest, um, you know, became uh, a habitat for uh, different species of birds and insects and mushrooms and other unseen, you know. Um, non-human lives so this is my uh i guess a spatial exploration of the forest while i play this uh video i'm going to recite a passage from a book i'm reading braiding sweet grass by robin wall kimmer um in, in the chapter learning the grammar of animacy because uh, this performance um, is also an exploration of um, animism and reanimation and embodying the place. So here we go. To be native to your place, we must learn to speak its language. I come here to listen to nestle in the curve of the roots in a soft hollow of pine needles, to lean my bones against the column of white pine, to turn off the voice in my head until I can hear the voices outside it, the shh of wind and needles, water trickling over rock, not hatch tapping, hip monks digging, each nut falling, mosquito in my ear and something more something that is not me for which we have no language 
the worthless being of others in which we are never alone. After the drumbeat of my mother's heart, this was my first language. I could spend a whole day listening and a whole night, and in the morning, without my hearing it, there might be a mushroom that was not there the night before. Creamy white pushed up from the pine needle tuft, out of darkness to light, still glistening with the fluid of its passage. Ha ho Listening in wild places, we are audience to conversations in a language not our own. I think now that it, it was a longing to comprehend this language I hear in the woods that led me to science, to learn over the years, to speak fluent botany, a tongue that should not, by the way, be mistaken for the language of plants. I did learn another language in science, though, one of careful observation, an intimate vocabulary that names each little part. To name and describe, you must first see, and science polishes the gift of seeing. I honor the strength of the language that has become a second tongue to me. But beneath the richness of its vocabulary and its descriptive power, something is missing the same something that swells around you and in you when you listen to the world science can be a language of distance which reduces a being to its working parts it is a language of objects the language scientists speak however precise is based on a profound error in grammar an omission a grave loss in translation from the native languages of these shores. So I think I will stop there. And yeah, I really love this passage because it talks about again centering you know languages that are sort of omitted by um, western epistemology or knowledge so i guess um my performance was always about you know making visible these um ways of um understanding um and being that are not, you know, they just simply do not exist in the Western vocabulary. So the next video, the final video, sadly, is a recent performance I did in a space, a gravity art space. Um, yeah, uh, they were they were kind enough to lend the space to me. This was actually not really planned. <laughs> I just, um, it, you know, it, it just came to my mind and I just told them, you know, 
uh, I want to do something. <laughs> and I just, on the day itself, I, I bought uh, paper in the art supply store, and then I, I got the ink, and, uh, the tools I needed to make this event happen. <clears throat> so this performance is actually um, inspired by a, a reading. I was reading about um, Gutai. It's a Japanese uh, avant-garde um, group of artists and it's a movement also where they explored um, new ways of creating art in the 50s. Uh, they're based in Osaka and it's very close to my heart because I I lived in Osaka for for four years. <laughs> That's why if you know because I've been keeping on talking about you know Japanese Japanese <laughs> you might be sick of it already but um, you know but I can't deny that their culture sort of influenced me as well on top of being Filipino and Chinese so um, so this is a performance done by um, and it's inspired by a performance done by a Namjoon Pike who's Actually, he's actually Korean, but he they moved to Japan when he was young and studied in Japan. So he's basically a Japanese Korean. And then he moved to the U.S. So I guess um, I've been referencing Namjoon Pike for, you know, a lot because uh, his biography, I could relate to his biography, this, you know, sort of, um, this, um, this, uh, I guess, struggle in finding your identity or, or lack thereof <laughs> because you've been displaced and then again, you know, moving to a territory and then be displaced again to a, you know, um, and and now I'm moving to the U.S. <laughs> so I guess it parallels again to his move to to New York and in the was it New York or Europe? But anyway, in the West, in the in the sixties. So, <clears throat> um, I'm going to play this, and I'm again, I'm going to read uh, a passage from a Japanese um, thinker, a Japanese intellectual philosopher. Uh, recently, I've been just reading. Uh, Eastern thought because I think it's not not being given enough credit and attention. You know, I've been I'm a teacher of philosophy and uh, design and theory in architecture for five years now in Benil. But I've um, and the curriculum is you know we all know our education here is very colonial. <laughs> It's very Western, and all the references are, you know, by white people in Europe and America. So I think I want to explore Asian thought, which I think it's a very rich and you know uh, a very interesting place to explore, um, and it's something I can relate to being also raised uh, partly in the Buddhist and Taoist traditions. So. Uh, okay, I'm going to play and I'm going to read a passage from Kakuzo Okakura, the, the Japanese thinker, from his book, The Book of Tea.
Zeninism, like Taoism, is the worship of relativity. One master defines Zen as the art of feeling the polar star in the southern sky. Truth can be reached only through the comprehension of opposites. Again, Zenism, like Taoism, is a strong advocate of individualism. Nothing is real except that which concerns the working of our own minds. Yeno, the sixth patriarch, once saw two monks watching the flag of a pagoda fluttering in the wind. One said, it is the wind that moves. The other said, it is the flag that moves. But Yeno explained to them that the real movement was neither the wind nor the flag, but of something within their own minds. The followers of Sen aimed at direct communion with the inner nature of things, regarding their outward accessories only as impediments to clear perception of truth. It was this love of the abstract that led the Sen to prefer black and white sketches to the elaborately colored paintings of the classic Buddhist school. Some of the Zen even became iconoclastic as a result of their endeavor to recognize the Buddha in themselves rather than through images and symbolism. A special contribution of Zen to Eastern thought was its recognition of the mundane as of equal importance with the spiritual. It held that in the great relation of things, there was no distinction of small and great, an atom possessing equal possibilities with the universe. So I am drawn to Zen Buddhism because um, again, Buddhism is from India. Um, people might forget that Buddhism is an Indian philosophy that came to China by way of um, you know, the missionaries of King Ashoka. That's why you know we have Thailand, we have Sri Lanka, still following this religion. But when it went to China, um, it somehow got nativized and mixed with local Taoist, um, local Ta Chinese Taoist um, beliefs, which is actually also animistic. That's why you, you see in the passage, um, Okakura talking about, you know, the, um, how even the smallest of things are, are of equal importance as things that we see as sacred. That's why, um, and it, with, you know, this passage sort of summarizes the attitude of the Japanese with regards to everything. That's why, I, you know, Alfred uh, likes to talk about this, how he's uh, annoyed <laughs> by why the Japanese are always like um, being so meticulous about everything. It's because their, their culture is shaped by this philosophy. They, you know, cop, you know, even a spoon, a bowl, everything for them has this um, potentiality of being sacred. So that, that's why their attitude towards everything is, is you know, it's like that. Um, nothing is for them is um, 
is profane, <laughs> or the, the concept of profane and sacred is sort of um, there's you know it doesn't exist. So that's why for a long time in Japan, craft, um, art, and craft wasn't really separate. Unlike in Europe, it happened a long time ago. But in Japan, you know, the, the ritual of art still exists in, in profane activities and profane objects. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think that's it. Um, I think I'm just rambling at this point. Yes, I think... I know. I, thank you so much, Isola, for this, for for showing us a lot of these like references and kind of weaving it together into a story about about identities, about the supernatural, and about the distance probably that we have uh, you, with technology. So I think in a bit, siguro for everyone else, if you have questions. We're gonna just take a short break and then after that we're gonna entertain questions and talk a little bit more about like let's let's sit with sit with the with the material that Isola has provided us and then let's process it for a bit and then we'll go back and see you again. Okay? We'll see you in a bit and then we'll go back for questions. Please ask uh, for actually Kanina, we have a lot of like I'll read later oh. the I'll read the comments in a bit, but See you all in a bit. See you.
Ayan. Hi again, everyone. So we're now in the Q&A section of our uh, conference number five. So I think I'll just mention some of the people that, that we we weren't able to shout out to. Sabi ni Andre Learning, a ghost passenger pala, referring to the Balete Drive. And uh, Cyborg Romy says, oh my God, best book, referring to the passage read uh, in your Araceros performance. And then, uh, Unrelearning said, Kasabay ata sila of Bigako School too. Referring to, I think, Gutai? Or I, I think Namjoon Paik. And then, uh, uh, uh. Ito Hideki uh, typed a heart. <laughs> and uh. then, ayan, Unrelearning says, Napakaganda na performance. Naalala ko yung The Ring clip that you showed earlier. 008 Hansu says, Appreciate it. And, Gosif29 says, Thank you, Isola. Ayan. Okay. Thank you. Any questions? <laughs> Ay, maganda signal natin today. Ha? Wag yung sayang. Uh, <laughs> Wag yung sayangin. Uh, happy Actually, ghost. Oh, nga, happy it, ghost. I think during our break, you were mentioning, you're telling us about numbers and that it's, it might be something that could uh, be added to this to our conversation. Oh yeah, because I just remembered because it's a it's a ring legend, the urban legend. Parang after seven days, mm. after watching the video, you will die. Pwede mm. pwede mo na ma ma delay yung death. You, you you need to cert, do certain rituals mm. <laughs> like call your friends. Kaya siya may may phone. <laughs> Tapos ipapasa mo sa friends yung video. Medyo so, kaya ring? Kasi tatawagan. Char! Uh, uh, and then, bilog siya. Kasi parang, yes. it's a cycle. So, parang pagpapasapasahan mo siya. Poor so, parang, time. di ba, nauso, nauso yung 90s yung, ano yun, yung parang, if you do not send this to your text. friends. Chain text. Parang, I guess, it's inspired by the ring. Mm. So, so, saring kasi it's seven days, and then I remembered in Filipino folk magic, number seven is very important also. Like, if you want to appease the encanto, it's kunyari nasapian yung, na, yung, you, you know, you know someone who was, um, what do you call that? In, um, what's that? Spirited away. So, you need mm. to offer, say, seven eggs or maybe seven chickens. And then in in the Chinese traditions, number seven is also important. You have to offer you know, certain seven numbers of fruits. So it's very interesting how numbers and then the menorah of the the of yes. the Jewish religion also has seven seven um, candles. So it's very interesting how this numerology. Um, exist across culture. Mm-mm. Tsaka diba kahit yung sa patay sa Pilipinas na parang 40 days. Ewan ko, mayroong may mga things right. na related din to like, hindi siya exactly like spirit. I mean, still related to the netherworlds. But, yeah. Right. Okay. Merong, merong katanungan si Unreal Learning. So, question for Miss Isola. How do you decide to show your work? I noticed that you sometimes mount, mount your work in a typical manner in galleries, but also recently you've been exploring public places like the park or the facade of a gallery. I guess to paraphrase, how do you decide 
uh, when to work with institution. And additional question, three-part question siya. And additional question, what is institution for you? Siguro yung first muna is like, how do you decide to show your work like format-wise or I think spatially? And then I think the second question is, how do you decide when to work? And then your third is, what is institution? Ayan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, I, going back siguro na sa, I guess, yung inspiration ko to sa Gutay movement na they, I think they, they're coming from the same line of thinking of, you know, breaking from, you know, the, the, the format of, the usual format of the institution. Which is again Western, you know, <laughs> and then the Japanese, naman, they didn't really have this concept of a gallery in the past. You know, all these were Western imports, these um, spaces for art. So, you know, for us Asians, art is integrated in our daily life, mm. or in the Philipp- in the pre-colonial Philippines, it's um, you know, the stories and our dances are told in you know in. To, you know, stories are told in maybe songs, dances, and oh, you know, um, narration of um, epic, <laughs> uh, epic uh, poetry or um, you know, legend. So, I think it's it's sort of uh, it's connected to also uh, an attempt to decolonize uh, <laughs> uh, expression. Um, so institutions, um, I guess I. When do I because in the past siguro I'm you know I, I don't consider myself as have as someone who's who has power in this uh, you know in this community so at first um, I was also in that mindset of um, you know seeing the institution as a legitimizing agent mm. <laughs> of you know of of my art but then soon enough I realized that I, I guess through also through SAR through SAR's practice and what he says and from also historical examples that I've seen in movements in different countries from the 50s and 60s that I realized that actually you know I can actually do it <laughs> Um, without these structures, you know, and yeah, so at this point, I really have a very tense relationship <laughs> with the institution, especially now that I'm openly critiquing them because they are intrinsically linked to the the dirt. I'm not going to to filter myself in it, to the dirt of politics and you know. The, of this country and we cannot separate them anymore <laughs> mm. it's like it's they're intertwined so um and it's hard for me to to digest this contradiction so for now my position is you know i'm just i just want to not deal with them <laughs> and not really and just do what i do my art without them and in a way i guess um education teaching the universities are are institutions that were reliable for me so that i could survive <laughs> i have that luxury at least to to be able to 
you know um, resist them because um, I can survive <laughs> with my other you know other say gigs <laughs> like um, uh, education and and also social media I was able to raise funds a lot of funds in fact from my art sales through social media which again reinforced that you know actually I guess the institutions are quite threatened <laughs> of us because I found a way to thrive without them without their you know with, without them as a middleman I, mm. I know I, I you know yeah I just deal with um, people who appreciate my art directly through the internet <laughs> yeah and, you know so I guess um and and then I think that will link to um well, how do I define institution? So I guess I don't know because I'm an I'm an anarchist I guess. So um, institution could be um I I wrote this quote for uh, an article about the queer. someone asked me what what is queer? Yeah. What is a queer space for you? And I said, you know, the queer space is anywhere uh, where a queer body exists. You know, the, the space is just uh, a space. You know, the, what activates the space is actually the queer people, us, diba? It's not really, it's not really the straight people who owns these establishments mm-hmm. that makes it queer. So I guess my attitude towards um, what is an institution, I guess, is the same. <laughs> Mm. You know, as long as my where where my body is is the institution, I guess. So, yeah, uh, my my answer is not definitive. It's actually nebulous. But that's my answer. <laughs> I'm still questioning. I don't know. So, yeah. Siguro ano? I think some somehow like what I might add to it is that. It it seems that institutions, in the way that you answered it, are like containers, but you are a force. Para siyang water, di ba? Like, not right. very, not very libra, but like, I mean, you you want Air. like, you people want water, so bottled water helps. But the ocean also exists, and rainwater also exists. So I guess, in a way, that's how. Sometimes it would contain you in a good way, but sometimes it just constrains you a lot. I think as a yeah. as a force, as art, as an artist, yeah, and as a yeah, yeah. Okay. It's also as a woman, diba? Parang sometimes, especially with the gendered ghosts, <laughs> parang there's a lot of like barrier between the living and the dead, and I think that's an inst- in a way it's an institutional metaphor. I think. Right. I think that you know the the performance I did in front of Mabini One Three Three Five is sort of emblematic of what my attitude to, or or my existence itself in re- is relation to these um, galleries. Na parang in the end, you know, no matter how hard I try, I'm still there at the the entrance, not even inside. Yes. <laughs> so. So I'm just right there, you know. They will allow me at a certain, you know, allow my, um, you know, you know, my my performance, um, but at a certain point lang. But you know, yeah. There's, you know, and I'm I'm still not really 
part of that structure. Merong merong so, additional. Oh, sorry. Go 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 go. Yeah, I, I'm I'm thinking lang. It's it's a metaphor. Yung vessel and water that you and ocean that you said earlier. Because it reminds me again of this. Because <laughs> this this transgender goddess Kuan Yin. Yeah. She has uh, the the Buddhist. Ano kasi meron kasing sutra. You know, sutra mm. is the Bible of the Buddhist. Meron kasing sutra about dedicated to her, where you know it discusses about the illusion of yeah. forms. So it, and it talks about the, uh, you know there's a quote there the the form what's that emptiness is form but the form is also emptiness. Wow. <laughs> there's that weird there's that dichotomy and contradiction which um, you know it's it's trying to point out that the vessel and the container is is It's the same, or it, it, we're just making up the illusions of these separations mm. of things. So, parang for Buddhist, kasi enlightenment means the realization of the illusions of these dichotomy, dichotomous illusions, but also accepting that they do exist. Right. <laughs> yeah, parang ganon, parang that. Um, yeah, very interesting. But um, yeah, but. But anyway, my 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 resentments towards the institutions are kind of um, I guess medyo may ibang layer pa siya dahil there, there, there are these human rights issues attached to it. Yeah. <laughs> But kaya parang I feel I just don't feel good mm. <laughs> about them. Uh, it just feels yucky right now. <laughs> If you get what I mean. Yes, like, yes. And I think rooted din siya, I guess, in art-specific institutions, I think. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Sabi naman ni Cyborg Romy, question for Isola. Unang Axe Scholar, Eve, I'm sorry if I pronounced it wrongly, Eve Tuck writes, I don't want to haunt you, but I will. I feel that. As a disabled queer, a Filipina in a Western country, and a survivor of violence, I feel like a living ghost around many people with privileges. Wondering if you relate to this. Do you have practices yes. for strategically being a ghost? How do you make how 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 do you make space to feel more than a ghost? This yes. is from Cyborg Romy. Thank you, Cyborg Romy. I love that quote so much. What that's the name again? I'm going to take note. Eve Tuck. I don't want to Eve. haunt you, but I will. I love it. Yeah, I guess <laughs> going back to Sars question also that yeah, that's exactly how I feel. Like, yeah, maybe I'm born to to haunt. <laughs> you know, <laughs> to haunt the, these spaces as a, a lady ghost. So, I guess um I guess I, I I'm kind of um hindi naman resigned or maybe retired. <laughs> I retired to the idea. <laughs> That I'm maybe I'm a ghost that occasionally just becomes a corporeal thing, as long as you know these institutions allows me to. So I'm not always there, you know. Um, I don't know what will happen to this the, to the system, but um, maybe I'm just occasionally appearing when the gates of hell <laughs> allows me to enter these spaces. So yeah, um. 
siguro I'm I'm a I'm a half. There's this uh, in my one of my research about snails <laughs> because I uh, I think I've shown that in in Instagram. Because uh, I found out that the you know the Buddha statues, diba? you've all seen the Buddha statue. The head of Buddha has he has these curly hair. Which are actually not hair. They are they are snails actually. Because there's a legend when Buddha was, um, you know, figuring out the bullshit of the world. <laughs> he was meditating. You know, he's also stressed out. Because you know the story of Buddha. Buddha was a prince. He's rich. Blah blah blah. He went out and saw that you know, oh my God, India is poor. <laughs> India is full of disease. People, old people, dying people, whatever. Mm-hmm. So he was like shocked. But, oh my God, the reality is so ugly. Why am I only shown these beautiful things? <laughs> so, but he's trying to, you know, this dissonance in him. Like, what should I do? <laughs> so he was meditating, as trying to rise above and be enlightened. So the the, the snails were covering his head because India is also a subtropical, you know, country that is hot. So the nails were covering his shaved head to protect him Ganda. so and then I found right parang even the universe the non-human entities are aligning to his purpose of finding you know enlightenment and um, and somehow I found out about this Indonesian legend of a, sna- of a princess who became a, a snail or something like that so so see, I guess I I somehow relate to that princess Neil. I'm I'm you know I'm some sometimes I'm inside the shell. Sometimes I'm I appear. So I guess my existence it's it's half half ghost half real. <laughs> ah okay. Kala ko half yeah, ghost or, half snail. <laughs> half ghost and you know sometimes I I appear. Sometimes I retract to my shell. Mm. So. You know, it's a. Um, I guess it's a, a tenuous, um, both inside and both outside um, existence. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of like, I think both ghosts and snails have have agencies that aren't always visible but very physical and tangible. I think. Okay, right. Lucia naman, yes! From question for Lu- Lucia Vin, question for Isola. Since a lot of folklore in the global south uh, ex- uh, evolves from colonial influence, uh, it, open, it, it often inspires fear and superstition, but also fun and play. How do you think play is powerful in rebelling against violent colonial powers? Yeah, I, it's so. I, I think it's a very, very important because um, um. Sorry, I'm going back to this um my issue with you know that the transphobia and homophobia that exists in our our creative institutions. You know, but I've been talking with my friends. So, you know what? Like, let's just do what the Dadaists in the early twentieth centuries did. You know, let's just create. You know, a mess. <laughs> you know, like because that's what they did. You know, they were sick of all these um, institutions as well in Europe, so they just created random noises <laughs> that are unproductive. And you know, basically, they're they're like trolls. 
<laughs> you know. Um, somehow, you know, the, the the movement ends up ended up abruptly. I don't know what happened. Maybe in the end they needed money, <laughs> so they needed these institutions. <laughs> but like, it was a funny sort of you know rebelling and making fun of everything yeah, as a form of rebellion. So I, I I'm again going to that direction of like <laughs> you know um you know you, you cannot confine me to the tastes of the art market or or your your idea of what uh, a marketable art should be you know we all know that there are these sort of um art mafias who likes toys as art who (laughs) sorry who who, you know all these bullshit so but i'm whatever like we're just gonna do anything we want yeah which is the essence (laughs) of play it's like the idea is fun instead of like consequence or instead of efficiency or instead of form it's just pure feeling i think yeah and then i know a lot of queer elders in the community are kind of shocked (laughs) or feel very tense because of what i whatever i'm doing Um, because for a long time they were silent because they're, they're they're trying to camouflage for their own survival, which is understandable. You know, um, it's a hard co- <laughs> this is a hard co- economy to survive in. I understand it, but I don't know. Um, I mean, I'm crazy, so <laughs> I've lost all. Um, I guess um, I don't know because this 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 is the only agency that's left of me. Uh, that's how I feel like, you know, but everything is so, I don't know, but what else can I do? I have, you know, I have no money, I have no power, I'm, I'm a nobody. Basically. <laughs> so, so basically, yeah, so basically this is just, this is just what I can do at this point, you know, not to give a damn. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that answers Lucia's question. Ayan. Thanks for the question. Oh, another one. So from from Hideki, Ito Hideki. Hi Isola, it's an insightful talk. Thank you for sharing your references. You mentioned about the Western theory, Western theory, mainly the respected principles in architecture. How do you uh, express and differentiate yourself as a queer Asian in a Western theory? Focused discipline, or at least the theory that is taught that is taught here. And how do you differentiate yeah, um, yourself from that fun- foundational like Western theories? Yeah, it's just it's a struggle, especially in architecture. I think it's easier sa art, but in design, it's kind of um, it's kind of tough actually. And it's a question I'm still trying to ask myself <laughs> parang it's also parang, huh, is it even worth it to decolonize in the age of the of globalization and ecological collapse parang uh, parang I've, I've even reached a point where i thought you know maybe the best way to do architecture is to not do it period <laughs> <laughs> you know you know you know because architecture Great involves answer. a lot of it's, it involves a lot of extraction you know, mm. you need steel. Where 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 do steel comes from? They come from mountains. 
how do they extract it from mountains? They cut down trees. <laughs> they destroy ecologies. So as a, an architect, maybe I just don't want to build anymore. <laughs> maybe that's the most radical way to become an architect is to stop being an architect. So but I've come to that conclusion. So I'm not, I don't even, of course, I teach about historical styles, the theories, but now I've come to a point that, you know, maybe, <laughs> or is it even worth it? Parang maybe it's just um, there's there are new theories uh, weird again from the West. Na parang uh, maybe the the future is you know relearning the the ways um, indigenous people live. Parang hello, we're going back. Na naman with with before you before you destroyed us, we were like this already. We were living in bahay kubo. All sustainable materials, right? Bamboo. <laughs> Don't um, get me started. And then, you, and then, and then you come here to the Philippines, telling us that we are savages. Okay, so we follow the Western way of doing things. Fine. And and then the Western way of doing th- things Turned out are now to be wrong. <laughs> to be wrong. And then it's the West again telling us that we're we're wrong. <laughs> so it's like. I'm so sick of this Western gaslighting. I'm, yeah. I'm just sick of it. <laughs> I just wish like, there was an admission of like, when you say that we have destroyed the earth, can you not include us? I mean, or maybe like we would partly like take responsibility for it, but like maybe take like 90%. I don't know how, how much percent, but it, it always feels that way that like, oh, we are the parasites, but like, are we? <laughs> I don't know, right? Yeah, it's it's so fucked up. It's um, and you know, if I'm we're, I'm, yeah, I'm bugtong hining. I'm so tired thinking Imagine about Imagine how but, tired we are. Yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, it's always our fault. Um, after being extracted for hundreds of years. So I guess for why. <laughs> So I guess for Ita, Hideki, like to differentiate is to reject. I guess that's like one, one, yeah. one way of doing it. Andre Learning says, "Lol at half ghost, half snail." And then Cyborg Romy says, "Salamat isola heart, love the way you answered." And Lucia Vin says, "Haha, I love that. Thanks for answering Isola and Alfred." And Cyborg Romy says, "Totally. If you're not in your discipline to destroy it, what are you doing?" Lama Rod Owens calls this calls this the Dharma of Indigeneity. Ayan. I love that. Lama yes. Rod Owens. Okay, we will take note. Oh yeah, How I, can I encounter I, to, their work. Yeah, yeah to last uh, lastly to uh, Hideki pala. I guess the my attitude towards architecture um roots to my thesis in UST. Because my thesis was uh our I didn't do a new architecture actually. I just reused buildings in Avenida. Mm. <laughs> uh, these old uh, buildings in 1910s because I I read this book um, from Germany um, talking about you know maybe what if the best uh, most sustainable way to do architecture is to just occupy buildings that are already existing in cities and not create you know Sencha Villar suburbs and again occupying destroying e- ecologies and, and and you know because the way we build expand our cities we're just you know we have the urbanity in the middle and then we're expanding and expanding 
to these suburbs, you know, all these um, housing, um, creating more communities na naman. Instead of occupying these empty spaces inside the city, and you know, why aren't why aren't we doing that? So, um, so my proposal in my thesis in, in these are years ago, two thousand nine, um, was what what if we just reuse old buildings, diba, and not destroy them? And we're not again, you know, we're not extracting more from the environment. And then we already, you know, we're just reusing what we already have. So basically, my thesis is just I just drew, I just drew what's the facade and the what what's already there. So it's a, it's kind of funny thesis. And then even the program itself, I you know, I, because I hate gentrification, you know, all these inserting of these hipster cafes. To sorry if I'm you know <laughs> being shady here, but that's how it goes, you know. Um, you know these hipsters, you know rich hipsters occupying these um, perceived cool areas by really poor artists, <laughs> poor areas, and then you know all these bourgeois, all these rich um, money elites coming in because it's you know they're bored, but they, they're bored of their yacht life, so they they want poverty porn, and then somehow this poverty porn becomes beautiful and gentrified and then displacing the original inhabitants so this this is this is what happened what happened in new york or happening in new york and london but all these what made london and new york interesting in the 80s are not there anymore right? all this rebelliousness the punk scene the gay electro music scene the club scene they're gone they're, they're not there anymore it's all like if you go to london what's there <laughs> oh, ano, empty condominiums owned by uh, I don't know a sultan or an oil magnate somewhere in South in Saudi Arabia. It's, so uh, you know, so yeah, it's uh, yeah. It, this opened a lot of more conversation, but that, that's architecture. So that's my that's why my attitude towards architecture is. Um, um, yeah, it's just occupy, and then and then my project was I did not displace the communities there. You know, because in Avenida there's a lot of these shady, girly bars and all these strip bars. You know, I I did not uh, white uh, wash the the place to become respectable or acceptable. I uh, mind you, I I was studying in a conservative Catholic country. I'm I, I, or university and I'm um, somehow I was able to to pass that thesis proposal. <laughs> I guess because I had support from my professors who were enlightened. But they understood because why would I take you know the livelihoods of these people away from them. Right? So I just you know, sort of reuse the buildings and kept the existing program businesses there. You know, so I yeah. wouldn't displace people. The point of like making a thesis that that pushes the, the, the challenges your discipline. That's why that's why you're studying in the first place, not to like. Yeah. I mean, I guess part of it is like part part of how it measures success is conformity. But I think what it what it should gear itself up for is is to challenge itself and have to accommodate the challenges that comes out of it. So which isn't being done well, but I think with with thoughts and yeah. pieces like yours, there should be more like that, diba? Right? 
Yeah, that's why it's a thesis. Um, it's a theory, and you know, it, it. Yeah, it's meant to be ideal. It's it, you know, it, there there are practical solutions, but like because architecture and you know, designs. The difference between design and art is design solves things, um, but my solution is more inclusive. So I, I was always like this since time immemorial. <laughs> like I've, you know, um, whatever I'm doing now, is just uh, basically a continuation of what I, what I was before. Naging trans woman lang ako <laughs> at this point of my, in of my life. But yeah, anyway, yeah. <laughs> I think one last I think I guess one last yeah. question I think it's a short okay. question lang like okay. uh, Cyborg Romy is asking wondering what you're imagining when you say old buildings like how old what is coming up for you Mm-mm. well um, the old buildings I mentioned I guess um, in that thesis was uh, I said we're a young country and, uh, and Avenida that area is uh, well maybe it wasn't developed uh, until the Americans arrived. Um, so th- they were from the American period, uh, around 1910s, 1900s. So, yeah, it's, it's almost a century now. Mm. So I guess that's old enough. And a lot of buildings because did not, from the Spanish period, did not survive the bombardment of Manila during the confrontation of uh, Yamashita's forces versus the Americans. Uh, only these American-made um, buildings sort of survived. Because, I don't know, they were built like bunkers. I guess the Americans are are so used to <laughs> wars, or I don't know. Yeah. Um, they, they somehow stood the test of um, time. But the Spanish buildings are gone. Because, the the format is parang bahay na bato. Diba? The, the stone structure is usually at the, the first floor and the, the, the upper floors are usually made of flammable materials like wood so I guess they're, it's impossible for them to survive um, bombardment or air raids in the 40s so yeah most of them are from the American from era. that age or mm-hmm. era okay oh my god I'm so I'm I'm pretty I'm very very happy with like not only with Isola's presentation and our conversations, but also with the with our audiences who engaged with us so much and asked these like thought provoking questions that get to draw more from Isola's stories and experiences, um, not just as an artist but also as an architect also and a babaylan, so and Filipina as well and trans Pinay and dami identities. <laughs> but I think I think that's what that's most of that's kind of like my takeaway from this from conference number five is that um i think initially my thoughts of like ghosts and supernatural are a little bit binary but now that now that we've fleshed out our conversations i feel like their relationship are more about trying to negotiate synchronicity that sometimes there's tension but it needs that tension even in architecture like if there's no friction you can't build anything so and right. sometimes you also need like harmony so uh, just just so that they work that they would work together or that they would pass through each other so it's a very i like the complexity of our conversation because it didn't skirt around 
like what was uncomfortable and I think it leans on that as what is what might be the foundation of of the supernatural which I guess is like fear or the unknown uh, yeah. overall and in eventually I think technology is a form of uh, or a manifestation of fear in a way of like losing connection with your people or or I don't know like losing your identity as well but then it also helps us with that so it's both like the supernatural and like technology are <laughs> fraught with <laughs> with contradictions that need to be there and doesn't yeah. doesn't always need to be resolved but just have to be like dived yeah. di- do- dove <laughs> I don't know like yeah. talked about again yeah Right. Yeah. All I right. Guess. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Maraming salamat. Thank you so much, Isola, for generously sharing with us your practice and your uh, stories with us and references. And for our audiences, thank you as well. At kay Miss Maan, a very strong <laughs> after after walang break but uh, maraming salamat po for for uh, sharing your skills with us and your time with us so for everyone else um, just reminders if you missed this stream you can view it 24 hours after this and then after that if you miss that uh, window you can also listen in uh, via audio recording on our website and also on our Spotify at Eternal Conferences. So thank you everyone and see you all on Thursday for our last conference for this quarter. So I will be talking with uh, my friend Guri Simona Overas. So uh, I think it's around in, in Philippine time, it's August 21 uh, a.m. And I think in um, Central European time, it's August 19, 7 p.m. So it's pretty like uh, the, um, the cusp of the in between days. So pretty confusing. Uh, but ECQ. We, yeah, we have we have we have our information in our website. ECQ, <laughs> enhanced modified uh, in between uh, conference. So yeah. 008 Hansu says, I love this. Thank you so much for sharing. So see you all. And then uh, after that, we, we live stream quarterly. So we'll see you in the fourth quarter. But first, see you on Thursday and slash Friday. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you all.